Hi, this is your host, Dr. Lat Mansour on HVMN Podcast. In this episode, we interviewed Eric Hinman, multiple Ironmans, brand builder, health and wellness entrepreneur, and investor. In this episode, he shared his training regime, his diet, different supplements that he used, as well as his recovery strategies from training. He also shared the benefits of sauna and cold plunge, as well as the rationale and science behind it. We also covered how resistance exercise can help with longevity and lifespan. So if you're intrigued, please stay tuned and enjoy this episode. Hi, Eric. Welcome to HVMN Podcast. It's so nice to meet you. Likewise. How are you doing today, Lap? I'm very well, thank you. How's, uh, how's the weather over there? The weather's nice today. It's going to be in the 60s. I'm actually going to go mountain biking after this. Um, of course. Colorado's kind of an anomaly where, you know, I could drive 90 minutes right now and probably go skiing in, in November. Um, or, you know, here in, in Denver, it's kind of an arid climate this time of year. It's going to start making the switch in a week or two. I see there's snow in the forecast. So we'll, uh, we'll be Denver winter here pretty soon. All right. It's very different from San Francisco here. It's yeah. a bit... Um, sort of shower and a bit gloomy today but um i mean i like the weather here because it's not too cold all year round and it's not too hot either um compared to where i'm from malaysia which is you know very humid and hot sure. and tropical so but um well we ha we're excited to to have you on the show i'm excited to ask so many questions um you know what your practices are and how's your lifestyle and and everything because you look like it and you talk like it in, in terms of like, you know, being a healthy human being. And I'm sure our listeners would be super interested to find out how you keep that lifestyle, right? So um, let's jump straight into it. Um, let's talk first about diet since, you know, health via modern nutrition, we're all about, you know, living the healthy lifestyle, but a big part of it is what you eat and what you metabolize. So let's start with what is your current diet and do you change it every now and again um, based on your use cases and all that? Yeah, definitely. So I've dabbled with different diets over the years. In my Ironman years, it was a higher fat diet. Just I wanted to teach my body to burn fat for fuel. And now I've been doing a lot more strength training and anaerobic conditioning, trying to um, put on some weight. And I've been having more carbs and more protein lately. But, you know, ultimately diet, I think the key is structure. Um, you know, eliminating decisions around food is going to generally serve people best. And, you know, for me, I build my calories throughout the day. I'm exercising quite a bit throughout the day. Um, you know, I'm doing podcasts and I like to have high mental clarity. So, you know, I don't like to have high food value meals until later in the evening when I'm ready to check out. That works really well for me. So typically in the morning, I'm just doing coffee with some collagen powder and a little honey, maybe a banana before my first workout. First workout is around 90 minutes. Um, strength training, anaerobic conditioning, CrossFit type workouts. And then after that session, um, I basically eat all of my meals here at the at the house we go out maybe once or twice a week but uh, breakfast and lunch is always at the house um, so that first meal is either going to be a smoothie and the smoothie is some kind of milk we often make our own homemade nut milk or hemp milk um, lately I've been back on the dairy train doing a two milk and I'll add protein powder I'll add a banana I'll add some frozen berries some ginger powder some turmeric powder um, some spinach 
maybe a little almond butter, some kind of nut butter, and uh, some beet powder. Um, that is probably four days out of the week what I'm having as my first meal. Um, some days I'll do eggs and turkey sausage, so that would look like four or five eggs and then some turkey sausage. Um, after that, I generally have a podcast or some kind of meeting for about an hour to two hours. And then in the afternoon, I do some kind of aerobic activity outside, hiking, rucking, mountain biking, road cycling. And uh, generally after that, I will have something very similar, either eggs and turkey sausage, or I'll make another smoothie very similar to the smoothie I had in the morning. And then in the evening, after I do my recovery session, which I know we'll talk about, um, that's generally when I have the biggest meal of the day. And that typically would be either a steak, uh, burgers, chicken thighs, smoked chicken wings, salmon, um, pork, some kind of protein. And then for carbs, it's usually either potatoes or rice. And then we do a salad alongside with it. And then in the evening, I might snack on some kind of nut butter before bed. And I have uh, Beam Dream and milk uh, as my sleep tonic at night. So, you know, 85% of the time, you know, that is the structure of my eating. And then 15% of the time, I'm going out to restaurants and, you know, I'll get dessert and, you know, I'll definitely go off the plan. Um, but, you know, very rarely am I eating, you know, processed foods, sugars, anything like that. So I think most know what to eat. I think the hard part is we often stock our pantries, fridges, and freezers with just too much stuff and too much junk. And if, you know, if I have candy here, if I have junk here, ice cream, whatever, I'm going to eat it, you know, because it's at my disposal. So I think it's important understanding what you have, you know, in your kitchen and also building a routine around eating that you enjoy. I look forward to those meals every single day and it eliminates the decision-making fatigue around food where, you know, I'm hangry and I'm like, all right, I'm just, I'm going to go get a pizza, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your point of, you know, not stocking up your fridge and your house with junk food is definitely a good point. You know, out of sight, out of mind. You yeah. don't think about it. And, you know, if it's there, chances are we will eat it. Do you know what I mean? Like we paid for it. We don't want to waste food, you know, mm -hmm. yada, yada, yada. So what I'm interested in, uh, I'm curious if you do count your calories because it sounds like you have a very active lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And do you count your calories and if you do, like, you know, under what circumstance, is it just during, you know, when you want to achieve a certain goal or when you want to go for a competition? Um, how, how, what are your thoughts around counting calories? Yeah, so I'm very feel-based. You know, I've never been in the bodybuilding world. Ironman is my background. And more recently, it's CrossFit training and high rocks racing. And so for me, it's more performance-based than any kind of aesthetic-based. I always say the aesthetics are a byproduct of my performance. So I've never counted calories. I have a decent understanding of, you know, each meal approximately what I'm consuming. And, you know, I'm trying to get in about a gram per pound of body weight and protein each day. But I'm not tracking. It. I've never used a tracking device. You know, I like having flexibility around it. And again, I like being able to, you know, go out to eat here and there and not beat myself up about it. And, you know, I'm exercising three-ish hours a day. So my exercise volume is really high. And, you know, to some degree, it's calories in, calories out from an aesthetic standpoint. But from a performance standpoint, you know, I really want high-quality foods. So I feel good mentally and physically. 
I like I like that you mentioned you know your aesthetic is a byproduct of your performance because mm-hmm. uh, you know a lot of people especially I think in big cities is that yeah I I'm just gonna work out for to look good you know don't mm-hmm. ask me to to do this functional stuff because you know it's not it's not for functions it's yeah. it's just to look good I mean whatever goal that drives people to to work out and you know whether the aesthetic is being the byproduct of the performance or the health being the byproduct of them going, you know, aesthetically pleasing sort of direction. It mm. works either way. It's that's the best thing about exercise and, and, and being active is that you get multiple rewards at the same time. You get health, you get aesthetics, you get performance, you get speed, you know, strength and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what about supplements? What sort of supplements do you take? Because, you know, it sounds like you are very big on the whole foods, on getting your sources from the, 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 the raw um, materials themselves, the raw resources. What about um, supplements? Do you, do you ever supplement with anything else? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've dabbled with lots of different supplements over the years, but the things for me that I always fall back to that I think are absolute staples are caffeine. I have coffee pretty much every single morning. Um, I generally cut it off by noon. So, you know, I might have two espressos, um, uh, one before my morning workout and then one before my afternoon workout, if it's an earlier afternoon workout. But yeah, again, I cut that off by 12, 1, 2 p.m. at the latest. And creatine, I think creatine is absolutely foundational for anyone looking to build strength and gain muscle mass. Um, anytime I'm on creatine, I've always been able to put on some some muscle mass as well as add strength. Um, I like beets a lot, so I do a beet powder. Um, nitric oxide, incredible for endurance. So um, that's something that has always been a staple in my routine. Um, lately I've been taking NAD or NMN as a supplement, which, you know, there's been a lot of studies about it helping with cellular aging. So, um, that has been in the routine now for about a year and a half. Um, I've taken fish oil in the past right now. I'm not taking fish oil only because I don't like burping up that, that fishy taste. Um, I think there is a, a, you know, a a place for that in people's routines, but I just don't like having that, you know, it kind of gives me a little heartburn whenever I have it, especially if I, you know, do it in the morning before I'm exercising. Um, what else do I have in the, uh, in the kitchen? Colostrum is something I've been taking now for about a year. Um, I've seen incredible results with colostrum from an immune standpoint of just building a robust immune system. And then in the evening, I take Beam Dream, which is uh, magnesium, L-theanine, nano-CBD, melatonin, um, might be missing one or two other ingredients in it, but I've been taking that for probably two and a half years now for just deep sleep at night. Um, and yeah, that really, it gets me to sleep fast and I sleep completely through the night with that. Magnesium is another really good one. If you know you just want one out of that list of things to have in the evening to calm your mind before going to sleep. Um, and then this isn't a supplement, but this is kind of a little hack. I like doing a teaspoon of honey before bed. I found that that keeps me, you know, any hunger pangs away. And also it keeps my mind from racing, you know, in the, in the evening. I don't wake up, you know, thinking about a to-do list. That's very interesting because from a metabolism, from a science point of view, um, we have been sort of, you know, established, uh, we have been establishing that, you know, you do not want to spike your insulin before you go to bed. So Mm -hmm. with your sort of practice, you have milk and you have honey, which, Mm -hmm. you know, both would spike insulin a little bit. Mm -hmm. So that'll be interesting to see, you know, if you measure your sleep quality and your sleep parameters, um, if it gets affected without 
and with um, um, sugar intake. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, you know, not a lot. It's a teaspoon, but I have found that that helps me sleep better at night. And I've read various studies around, you know, Mm -hmm. having a bit of glycogen um, that will help, you know, so you don't wake up in the middle of the night hungry. And this goes to show how, you know, you are the best judge of your body. 100%. What works for you may not work for another person. And you just have to try out different practices, different lifestyles um, that works for you. And it's really interesting that you mentioned NAD precursors as well. I've been sort of looking into um, NAD precursors just out of like personal interest, really. Um, Mm. As you said, you know, on the aging side, on sort of uh, maintaining the energy as we age, it's really important. I've heard um, however, the NAD, the IV NAD seems to work much better because it's a mm-hmm. five day drip, mm-hmm. an hour each day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite expensive as well versus the oral um, consumption. So I think more research um, is going to come out in terms of which one is the best delivery method of mm-hmm. NAD into our bodies so that we can age better. Agree. So um, that's super interesting. So, you know, it sounds like you have been dabbling in a lot of. Um, very sort of outdoor activities, outdoor sports, um, well, CrossFit as well nowadays. So what is, you know, your, your training regime generally right now? And, 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 you know, is there a different regime when you, when you do for maintenance versus competition? And, and tell us more about that. Sure. So, I mean, the last five years, I haven't really been competing in anything other than high rocks occasionally. Um, So it's been very much just lifestyle based. What makes me feel good day in and day out? And for me, this is overkill for most. I mean, you know, my days are built around health and wellness and my business is based around health and wellness. So it's a big component of my day. So I'll talk about what I do, but I'll also talk about what I think is, you know, probably best practice for someone who has 60 minutes, five days a week to train. So for me, um, my morning sessions, I'm going to a CrossFit gym five days per week and I loosely follow Matt Frazier's HWPO programming. So it's going to be about a 10 to 15 minute warm up, um, activating the muscle groups that you'll be doing. So for example, on a Monday, it's generally a squat day, back squats, front squats, maybe some type of, of, uh, Olympic lifting like squat cleans. And I'm following the percentages on the app. So, you know, it's very much structure based. I'm not going in, not knowing what I'm doing. I literally am following a plan to a T and understanding, you know, what the benefit is from following those sets, reps and percentages. And um, after the strength training, Olympic lifting, um, there's generally some kind of anaerobic conditioning. So uh, that would be high intensity intervals on an assault bike, a rower, or a CrossFit Metcon. That's generally about 10 to 20 minutes of of the training. Um, The strength training component is probably about 30 to 40 minutes of it. And then there's generally accessory work at the end. So working smaller muscles, tendons, and ligaments. And that probably is another 15 minutes. So that session is about 90 minutes in duration. And then in the afternoon, seven days per week, I'm doing aerobic conditioning, ranging from 45 to 90 minutes. And I vary that between mountain biking, trail running, um, hiking, and rucking, you know, just kind of what I'm craving that day and what the weather will allow. You know, in the wintertime, I can't mountain bike nearly as much, so I kind of up the trail running. And then in the summertime, I'm mountain biking and road cycling a lot more than I'm running. Um, So that's my routine. Again, it's a lot, but... 
What I would recommend for you know someone who wants to be fit and feel really good is going in between strength training and anaerobic conditioning on day one, and then the next day doing 45 to 60 minutes of aerobic conditioning. So you know day one would be that strength training. Uh, one day would be squats. One day would be pulling movements. One day would be uh, pushing movements, um, and then maybe another leg day with some you know lunges or bulk. Bulgarian split squats. Um, and then on the alternate days, 45 minutes, whatever you enjoy, zone two cardio, could be tennis, could be pickleball, um, swimming, biking, running, um, ideally outside. I like to be outside every single day, soaking up the, the sun's rays. So um, that's what I would recommend for, you know, the five to six day per week person that only has 60 minutes a day is going strength training and aerobic conditioning day one, aerobic conditioning day two, back and forth. That sounds that sounds pretty intense as well. I mean, for a normal person, you know, office job and nine to five, that's that's already you know quite tiring. And and what you're doing, it's it's amazing. So you're doing strength exercises, you're doing high intensity um, strength based conditioning exercises. On top of that, aerobic conditioning exercises uh, for about forty five minutes to ninety minutes, which is you know very long. But you know we see the results, right? You see the performance increase. You see you know, the, the body fat, uh, the body composition change. So yeah, that's, that's great advice. Um, what about those people who literally don't even have five to six days, right? If they have three days a week, if they're just starting out, right, mm -hmm. just working out, they, they, you know, they heard this podcast and they feel inspired. They, they haven't really worked up before. They just want to have a, have a start mm -hmm. where to begin. So what would you advise them? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I've been habit stacking now for 15 ish years. That's been my journey. And each year I pick something new to focus on. So this didn't happen overnight by any means. And, you know, so backtracking to my mid twenties, I was driving 50,000 miles a year, sitting in a car, eating subway because I thought that was healthy. Like I was, I had gotten pretty out of shape in my mid twenties. I was very focused on just building my first business. And I hired a personal trainer and saw him five days per week for 30 minutes. And that was my start to getting back into shape. So I think the keys are, you know, having knowledge, having accountability, having, you know, some kind of structure. And for me, that training looked like strength training and anaerobic conditioning. I think that's where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. So doing complex lifts like squats, deadlifts, um, pressing movements, shoulder to overhead, bench press, and again, doing those highly anaerobic conditioning intervals. Um, that's where you're going to maximize your time and get the biggest bang for your buck. So that's what I would recommend if you have, you know, three days per week, 30 minutes each day is, is doing that. And, you know, if you're looking to get into shape, I think it's important to have, you know, someone who is telling you what to do because you may not have the knowledge. You might not have the form. You don't know the sets and reps, the percentages to do. You, you may not understand what high intensity training is. And it's nice to have someone guiding you with all of that. And, you know, also if you're paying for it, you're, you're going to be accountable to yourself to show up for that training session each day. Yeah. Um, that's, that's great advice. And I think, you know, people should just even start by brisk walking, right? Even yeah. just being active, it will definitely change that mindset and really put you in a mood where, all right, you know that you can walk for 20 minutes today. Tomorrow, let's walk for, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour. And then, you know, get knowledge around, like you said, get knowledge around training. And 
things are so accessible these days, including personal trainers, including, you know, people who are into health and nutrition and dietitians that you can actually gain access to. You can easily, you know, pay them uh, and advise you on this knowledge and know that it's not a subscription base. I mean, some of them are, but most of them are just one-off knowledge. Like, you know what works for you. You know these are these exercises and it accumulates, it compounds out. And then you can just work on your own. And then when you hit a plateau, and then you can hire them again. Yep. And um, this past weekend, I was at a, um, uh, an Halloween event um, organized by Levels. And uh, Professor um, Robert Lustig was there and he was talking about his, his book, Metabolical. And he said, either way, you're going to pay. Either you pay the doctor or you pay the farmer, mm -hmm. i.e., you know, getting a, a better food and not processed food. Mm -hmm. And in this sense, as we're talking, either way, you're going to pay. Either you pay the doctor or you pay the personal trainer or you pay, you know, the nutritionist. So your choice, right? Um, I think that's really powerful. It's it's about, you know, what do we invest our time and money in? And nothing will be better investment than your own body and health. I can't agree more. And, you know, also the same is true with discomfort. A lot of this is discomfort, but if you don't do it, you're going to have tremendous discomfort, you know, with the opening yourself up to various diseases. So, I mean, for me... This goes back to my Ironman years. So, you know, 2011, 2012 is when I really started to shift my life around one based around, you know, these protocols. And, you know, initially it was very extrinsically motivated. I wanted to do well in Ironman. I wanted the results. I wanted to beat people. I wanted to win races. And it, it changed, though, to being so much more intrinsically motivated because I started to realize that. I had this tremendous mental clarity and tremendous energy throughout the day. I didn't have a lull in the afternoon anymore. I felt like the best version of myself and I felt like I could be me. I could be super vulnerable. And, you know, some of these things that in my 20s were fueled by alcohol, all of a sudden were being fueled by exercise and a healthy way of life. So, I mean, that was kind of the aha moment for me of why I wanted to restructure, restructure my life to be based around this is because I just felt so damn good. So again, like I always preach that the aesthetics are a byproduct, like the feeling is why I do it. I want to be the best version of myself. And the best thing is that feeling, it also acts as a motivator, as a cycle sure does. to let you get going and get continuous with your effort and make it more persistent. Because at the end of the day, what I usually tell people when they want to go through like transformation journeys or weight loss journeys is the consistency is key and always enjoy the journey and celebrate those little goals. Because if you are too set on the final goal, you will think that it's just so much and you just eventually burn yourself out before mm -hmm. you even reach a small goal. But yeah. if you enjoy the journey, as you said, like enjoy that feeling of being healthy and being fast, of not panting while running for the bus, this is the feeling that you should hold on to and give yourself the motivation that you deserve uh, in order to push yourself further. So we talked uh, a bit on, on nutrition. We talked a bit on, on exercise what are your recovery strategies? Because most people, they don't think much about recovery strategies. They think that, you know, I'm eating healthy, I'm going to exercise, but, you know, I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm, you know, not really eating enough to fuel my recovery, uh, which is as important, 
if not more, because it compounds over time. So what is your uh, recovery strategy and what advice you have for people? Around sure. Early? So, yeah, so I'm 42 and the only way I'm able to train the way I still train is by being religious about, you know, self-care protocols. So um, for me, what that looks like is five days per week. Um, we've designed our house around, you know, these wellness practices. Like we turf 1,200 square feet of our backyard. We have a full CrossFit rig. We have assault bikes and rowers and ski ergs and, you know, barbells and plates. And I mean, literally, it's like a commercial gym in our backyard. And we also have um, an infrared sauna in our basement. We have a traditional sauna in our outdoor area and we have cold plunges. So um, I'm typically doing two to three rounds of 20 minutes in a 200 degree sauna and then five minutes in an ice barrel around 45 degrees. And that is how I feel my best doing that protocol. I have noticed though, I've been doing it now for five plus years. I have noticed it's similar to exercise in that, you know, some of the benefits you don't feel as much as you once did. So I'm starting to vary that a little bit more now. So, you know, I might do a hot Epsom salt bath. I might do infrared sauna session, red light therapy, a deep tissue massage. I'll try and vary it a bit so that, you know, I get that same feeling that I, I always got doing the, the hot and the, and the cold contrast therapy. And, you know, again, my business is built around this and I combine those sessions with meetings. Oftentimes I combine it with listening to a podcast and learning. Um, I combined it with a time when I'm answering, you know, messages on social media. So, you know, this is, a. Uh, it also is, you know, multitasking without multitasking for me. It's where I can connect with people. It's where I can have meetings. You know, it's where I can answer messages. It's where I can learn. So, you know, with all of these things, I'm also able to, you know, build my business around them as well. That's great. It's it's amazing hearing how big your house and your, your your backyard is. And I'm here living in San Francisco where everything is super expensive and you can afford, you know, a shoebox with the same price. Um, I really envy you, but I also uh, I'm, I'm happy, you know, that, that you are so in tune with your body that you know what exactly you, you need in order to recover well, because a lot of people do neglect that aspect of training. And that really takes a toll over time. You may not feel it the next day or you can push through, you know, a week, a month, but then eventually you will feel that fatigue uh, building up. And some, some mitochondrial damage may also be irreversible as well, because, you know, you're just overworking all your cells and your organs. Now, you know, you mentioned sauna and cold plungers, and, and I have to admit, I haven't tried cold plungers before. Not mm -hmm. yet. Uh, I, 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 it's one of the things that I would love to try um, soon, actually. Um, but what, you know, for our listeners here, what, what is the rationale and the science behind the cold and, and hot treatment? Yeah, I mean, there's so many benefits from it. The, you know, one of the benefits is it's improving blood flow. So it's going to help with inflammation. So you don't feel, you know, achy or as sore the next day. You know, that's one of the physical components of it. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you're going to burn body fat by doing it. You know, it's taxing your, your nervous system in the sauna. So you're burning calories while you're in there. My heart rate is generally in, you know, the 100 to 110 beats per minute range. Um, you know, my, my resting heart rate is around 45 and my max heart rate is around 165. So, you know, I'm burning calories while I'm in there. Um, for me though, the mental benefits and, 
um, emotional benefits have probably been the the most significant. And what I mean by that is it takes something absolutely monumental now to stress me out. Um, <clears throat> as soon as you get into a cold plunge, I like to explain it as, you know, you could have just the worst day ever. You just feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Then you go hop in 40 degree water for three minutes. All of a sudden, like that weight of the world is lifted off of you. And, you know, you're to do list that feels like it's just stacked vertically on your head is all of a sudden just like right out in front of you and you feel like you can just tiptoe over it. Um, So, I mean, the mental benefits of it are just tremendous. The stress resilience that it builds, the grit that it builds, um, you know, knock on wood, I never get sick anymore. I haven't been sick in 10 years. So, you know, the immune system boost of doing it is absolutely incredible. Um, I mean, there's a lot of studies showing that, you know, it's decreasing all cause mortality by up to 60% cardiovascular Alzheimer's disease, like all of these, you know, cardiovascular and neurological diseases. Um, they've done a lot of studies in Finland specifically where there's a sauna for just about every household in Finland. And, you know, it's just showing incredible benefits over time. But again, for me, I'm very feeling based. Like, how do I feel afterwards? How do I feel, you know, after doing it consistently for a month? How do I feel after consistently doing it for five years? And, you know, that for me is the telltale sign of like, this is something that is super important to me. And and this is me, you know, coming in as a science nerd, right? Mm-hmm. Like you talked about the studies and are these studies based on just like the cold plunge itself or is it just a sauna or is it combination? Yeah, the, the cardiovascular benefits, the all-cause mortality are specifically sauna, and that is doing it, I believe it, the study for the all-cause mortality, decreasing it by 60%, was if you're saunaing five times per week and, you know, 185 plus degrees, 20-minute sauna session is mm-hmm. what the study was based on. So, you know, there is some data showing that consistent sauna use is, is you know, what, what is giving the benefit. And then for the cold exposure, um, you know, I don't know the studies around, you know, not getting sick and the studies around, you know, why mentally you just feel so incredible. Obviously, it's boosting your your serotonin levels and boosting adrenaline when you're in there. Mm-hmm. Um Uh, Actually, one of the interesting things I just heard on uh, Andrew Huberman's podcast was um, the correlation of adrenaline and focus. And for me, I always time, you know, either sauna, cold exposure right before doing something where I need to be really, really on and really focused or I time exercise. And both of those things obviously are releasing adrenaline. So it makes sense why after you would be so focused. So, you know, that's one of the mental hacks with with doing it. but yeah, it's uh, it's you have to try cold exposure. It's incredible. I always tell people like if you only have one thing that you're gonna do, you're gonna get the most bang for your buck. You know, five minutes, three minutes in cold water, and you will feel those same effects that I'm telling you about. So yeah, I I am looking forward to it, and and it seems like you know people listening to to this episode, they're gonna they're gonna start building a sauna in the house, and they're gonna yeah. have a, a cold plunge. Um, I. I think I think there are a couple of places here in San Francisco that I can go to actually. Um, I might actually look into it right after this. You um, should. And, I'm sure you do. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I'm really um, glad that you you mentioned you know the the role of adrenaline as well. And it makes sense because when you have adrenaline, it kicks off the the fight or flight sort of 
sort of uh, reaction where you know you need to be focused if you are in danger in a mm -hmm. histor evolutionarily if you're in danger you need to be focused to be able to be alert um, of your surroundings to be really like you know go either fight or flight right so that makes sense and you know if we can manipulate you know biohacking sense you know manipulate mm -hmm. that secretion and therefore really maximize um, the effect of it then why not um, so in terms of, well, I'm, I'm going to switch gear a little bit to go back to a little bit on the, on the training. Um, I know, you know, throughout your, your 15 years, you've gone through all these different training, different model, uh, multi-model training um, sessions. Do you think, you know, all these trainings are very different between like CrossFit to endurance to Ironman? Um, what are the differences uh, and what should people pay attention to if they want to get into a specific area? Yeah. So, I mean, endurance sports, the key is lots of zone two intensity. So, you know, for me, that means heart rate around 130 to 135, running, biking, um, swimming, I would be doing some higher intensity sessions. But yeah, marathon, ultra running, um, 100 mile bike rides, like all of that stuff is so much more dictated by, you know, your aerobic engine and your durability. And in order to build those things, those things up you need volume and so my training back then you know looked very different than it does now and that you know that call it three hours a day that I was working out the majority of it was spent in that zone two cardio um and now, you know, much more of it is based in strength training where there's lots of rest and aerobic conditioning. Again, where there's quite a bit of rest, you're going, you know, really, really hard for 15 to 90 seconds. And then generally the um, rest time equals work time. So, you know, you're basically resting half of the time you're doing the anaerobic conditioning. And then, you know, I've really limited my aerobic sessions to 90 minutes or less now. I very rarely do anything over 90 minutes. And the reason is I feel my best when I'm I'm strong. I feel anaerobically fit. I feel powerful. Um, I still have endurance. I mean, 90 minutes is by, you know, no means, uh, you know, a slouch, uh, but you know, I'm not doing five hour bike rides anymore. I certainly would not perform as well now in an Ironman as, you know, 2010 to 2014 when I was doing a lot of that zone two cardio. Um, but yeah, I feel like the endurance sports are very one-dimensional in nature. And I'm so glad that I wrote that chapter of my life. I'm so glad that, you know, I did all of those half Ironmans and full Ironmans. But I'm also glad that I was able to, you know, shift out of it and not make it a lifestyle and started starting to incorporate, you know, more strength training, more anaerobic conditioning. Um, you know, there's, there's plenty of studies around VO2 max and muscle mass for longevity. And, you know, you might have a, a pretty high VO2 max doing Ironman, but, you know, generally you're not going to have the same kind of muscle mass that you would have if you're, you know, strength training or doing CrossFit type workouts. So I just like blending the two now. That's how I feel my best. I feel energized. Testosterone levels are much higher. Cortisol levels are lower. And with endurance sports, oftentimes it's the, the inverse where, you know, your cortisol is pretty high and your testosterone levels really sync with all of the the high high zone two cardio volume yeah and and about three episodes ago i interviewed um louisa nicola a neurophysiologist mm -hmm. and she talked about study that showed at least three times a week of a block of 50 minutes of um, zone two cardio actually increased mitochondrial biogenesis so mm -hmm. it really helps you know you build that that sort of um 
powerhouse of the cell, if you would, uh, to create more energy for, for you know, usage, either in muscles, brain, heart or whatever. But Definitely. at the end of the day, I, I like what you mentioned about um, longevity and muscle mass um, and and the balance between aerobic and anaerobic and strength mm-hmm. training. right? Because I think when we are younger, it's much easier for us to push our bodies to do a one dimensional spot, mm-hmm. um, either endurance exercise or, you know, one just one area of, of, of sports. But as we grow older, I think we need to balance out because there is always wear and tear with our bodies, right? Either the joints, the muscles, the, the neuro- neurological like circuitry, um, there will always be wear and tear. And if you keep doing that, you know, day after day, month after month, year after year, you will face um, a moment where things will start breaking down and things mm-hmm. can't keep up. Whereas the way you approach it is when you've done enough of the endurance and you go towards strength training and, and more anaerobic and still maintaining, and I'm not saying not to do the, the, the endurance, but still maintaining mm-hmm. the endurance exercise is really a good approach as you know, as we are aging, as we are trying to improve our muscle mass um, to aid with um, aging in general, but also neurodegenerative diseases. Mm-hmm. So we talked about um, neurodegenerative diseases on our podcast as well, how muscle mass or strength training, you know, at least 75% um, one rep max sort of, sort of training, you have to push yourself, that actually increases the size of the hippocampus. Mm-hmm. significantly and hippocampus is a region of the brain that dictates learning and memory mm-hmm. so you can imagine how that has such a advantage uh, battling against neurodegenerative diseases risks Fascinating. Yeah. And, and I like what you said too about the 75%. So when I'm saying strength training, you know, I'm not going in there and maxing out every single day. It's very similar to, you know, the endurance training where I'm doing it at a percentage of max all the time, not all the time, but the majority of the time, you know, I might have call it an eight week block of training. And only one of those weeks out of those eight weeks are at a percentage higher than 90%. The majority of them are done at a percentage somewhere between 60 and 80%. Um, so, and you know, like if you can do 10 pull-ups, you don't do 10 pull-ups every day. You do, you know, five pull-ups three days a week. And then, you know, over time you're going to be able to do 14 pull-ups for your max set. So, um, I think that's important for people to take away is, you know, that all of this is based on percentages of a max. Generally, you're not going in and, you know, maxing out every day. You know, the anaerobic sessions are very short windows. You know, if I'm doing a salt bike intervals, that's typically 15 seconds of work and 45 to 60 seconds of rest before I back that up effort up again. Um, and the CrossFit Metcons, you know, maybe once or twice a week, unless I'm doing some kind of qualifier workouts, but I really don't like doing those CrossFit Metcons much more than one or two times per week where, you know, let's call it a 10 to 15 minute time domain at a very high, high heart rate. Right. And in terms of, you know, your experience, cause you have such a, a huge, like encyclopedia around around training around nutrition and and and, and regimen have you found out if you know for our listeners here um for a certain age range say 20 to 30 30 you know they they should train differently 30 to 40 should train differently 40 to 50 should train differently have you Mm -hmm. found out any any insight around that if if there's any you know advice for our listeners 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is listening to your body. Um, you know, I think at any age, strength training is an important component of it. You want to retain as much muscle mass as possible as you age. So I really think think strength training is a super crucial component that, you know, a lot of people may not think is as important as it is. And then aerobic conditioning, again, like this is zone two cardio we're talking. For some people, that may be a brisk walk. Um, it doesn't mean, you know, a fast run. It doesn't mean a fast bike ride. This is conversational pace type cardio. So, you know, each person, the intensity of that zone two cardio is going to be different. But, you know, again, based on your max heart rate, we're talking somewhere in the range of 70 ish percent of, of your max heart rate. Um, so I think that doing that is super important. I just don't think it's healthy to get, you know, addicted to the five hour sessions, the, you know, most listening to this probably won't, but you know, there are a lot of people that, you know, do get addicted to that lifestyle. And I don't think it's a, it's a healthy lifestyle just doing endurance sports or, you know, looking to qualify for Kona year after year after year, because you're, you just have to neglect strength training in order to get that far within endurance sports. Same with the ultra running. You know, if you want to win an ultra race, great, but I would write that chapter for maybe five years and then, you know, switch to doing some more strength training and some anaerobic conditioning mixed in. Yeah, that's a great point as well. And I did a a, a little uh, research thesis during my master's as well on um, resistance exercise being an intervention against sarcopenia and sarcopenia Mm -hmm. means, you know, it's a muscle loss as we age. And, and that's, that's what, we know you know it's it's a fact that if we do not do resistance exercise as we age past 30 we should lose around like one percent every year of muscle mass now Mm -hmm. what happens is that when you reach a age old enough um without those muscles supporting your structure supporting your bones supporting your movements you have a much higher risk of falling and a lot of these death um, or mortality cases amongst elderly is just because um, they, they just fall because they, they will fall, they will break their bones or worst of all, the, the bones may actually puncture their organs and then they'll have hmm. internal bleeding and then they'll die. So it's as simple as that. It's just having the support for movement, flexibility, as well as, you know, just um, uh, structural support is so important. But what's, even more interesting is that when they found, you know, 80-year-old, 90-year-old um, elderly patients who are experiencing experiencing sarcopenia and put them on resistance training and strength training, they actually managed to increase muscle mass significantly, even at that age. Wow. So know that our bodies are so good at adapting to these stimulus, especially so our bodies, you know, always strive for survivability. Right. Sure. So if at that point to grow muscle is to survive, then, you know, having that resistance training really helps. So but, you know, why wait until when you're 80, 90 to, to do that? Right. So I think consistency, again, you know, throughout your life, having that strength training, having some form of you know, a significant amount of, of lean muscle mass is definitely good for you. I mean, it increases basal metabolic rate. It definitely helps with strength. Um, Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, the side effect, you know, you look good. 
Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's something to be said for health span too. Like I want to be mountain biking in my sixties, you know, seventies, hopefully. So yeah, I mean, health span is super important, not just how long are you going to live, but you know, in your later years, are you still able to have a really high quality of life moving the way you want to and moving is so important for me. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly the point. I remember when I was younger, I I thought about, you know, when I grow old, I don't want to be a burden to other people around me Mm -hmm. and meaning that I can, you know, help myself i can go to the store i can you know cook i can go up and downstairs but now i think it's slowly evolving into what you just said i want to be more than that i want to be able to you know go to the gym i want to be able to have you know have a good run uh with my friends i want to you know run along the beach or whatever and that is just pushing to another level and seeing a lot more people being able to achieve that in their 50s, 60s, 70s now give me hope that our bodies can actually, you know, achieve that as long as we know we have the right knowledge, we have the right training, we have the right diet and mm-hmm. investment in our bodies earlier on. And when we reach those ages, we are able to achieve those. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you know, diet and training is not just, you know, the only answer to this. And and being such a strong person like you are, Eric, uh, I know that it takes tremendous mental and emotional strength as well. And I would love for you to share, you know, your journey around building that mental and emotional strength as you build your physical strength to our listeners so that they can, you know, integrate the both of them, like the physical and mental aspect of, of training and exercise so that they can achieve even you know, greater heights. Yeah, I mean, like anything, it's reps and sets. So, you know, the more risks I've taken, investing in companies, starting businesses, you know, the more risk adverse I've become, the more willing I am to take risk. And, you know, the more CrossFit workouts I do, the more cold plunge sessions I do, the more mental grit and resilience I build around those things. And going back to my point about not being stressed out, like these are preparing you for something bad in life. So it doesn't just completely, you know, knock you off your chair. Um, So I think that, you know, the cold exposure, the sauna sessions, the CrossFit workouts, you know, they're preparing your nervous system for, you know, life is a life is just a series of ups and downs. And the more you can regulate those ups and downs, the the more even keeled and the better off you're going to be. So, yeah, it's it's really reps and sets. And for me, you know, I found that the CrossFit workouts, the cold exposure, the sauna sessions, all of those things have have built mental resilience for business for, you know, just being a a good partner to my girlfriend and, you know, just uh, being the best version of myself. So what you're saying is that the more pain you experience, then the the, the rest of the pain becomes becomes less painful. Yeah, I call it type two fun. You know, some (laughs) of these things in the moment might not feel all that great, but you feel amazing afterwards. And, you know, it's just going to make your life better. And I mean, to be honest with you, most of the things I do enjoy, you know, I've, I, I I don't dread my sauna and cold plunge sessions. I don't dread my CrossFit workouts. I look forward to them. Are they uncomfortable sometimes in the moment? Sure. But I still look forward to it. So I think you develop a tolerance to it. And, 
Um, you know, once you've done it once, twice, five times for a year, I mean, all of a sudden you don't have this mental barrier around it. You know, you know how it's going to feel. It's not going to kill you. You know, there might be, uh, you know, uh, some discomfort in the beginning when you dunk your head in that cold water. There might be some discomfort when you initially start, you know, a CrossFit Metcon. But I mean, with, with most of these things, I kind of settle into it and it just kind of becomes the new norm. And in a weird way, I start to enjoy it. That's the key, becoming the new norm. Like it's, it's when we define a new norm, which is a harder, uh, you know, a, a further goal to achieve, then the old goal that we struggled with became the normal and became like something that we can easily overcome and then we move on. And that's how we are as humans, as we mm-hmm. adapt, you know, the best adaptive uh, machine that we are. But there's one thing I also saw on your Instagram where you have a gratitude jar. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, gratitude in, in and of itself is such a powerful tool to be able to um, really push us to not just push us to, to reach, you know, greater heights, but also push us to be grateful in the process of doing that. And, and Definitely. because of that, you, you create this positive cycle of emotions and, mm-hmm. and release all these positive hormones in order to, to be more consistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't agree more. We have a gratitude jar in our kitchen and every night, myself, my girlfriend, Sarah, anyone who's over, you know, we write what we were grateful for that day. And at the end of the year, we read all of those notes. And yeah, I agree. I, I love, I, I like building my day around tiny wins is what I, what I call these things. And, you know, gratitude is one of them. But, you know, each of these things that I'm doing throughout my day are, kind of pushing the ball forward just a little bit. I think Tony Robbins, you know, said progress is happiness. And that certainly is the case for me. And I try to build my day around, you know, these things that that bring me a sense of progress and, you know, bring a sense of happiness. And the more you can structure your day around those things, and then at the end of the day, reflect on it and be like, that was a perfect day. Like that's, you know, going to lead to an incredible life, an incredibly rewarding life. Absolutely. Um, and if, you know, just to, to close it up as well, uh, I want to ask you a question that I, I usually ask all my guests, what is health and modern nutrition? Uh, what does that mean to you? Um, I think it means being the best version of yourself, you know, understanding how to structure your day around various wellness practices, which are going to improve everything else in your life. Um, You know, I feel like a better entrepreneur. I feel like a better boyfriend. I feel just a a better all around human by building my day around, you know, movement, um, eating healthy, my recovery routines, and it just becomes a snowball effect. Um, and again, it's easy to overwhelm yourself with this. So I always say tackle one thing each year, you know, make exercise a, a complete routine for yourself. Year one, year two, tinker with different diets, see what works for you. You know, when you eat, how much you eat, um, tinker with sleep in year three, tinker with recovery routines in year four, tinker with, you know, gratitude and stillness and meditation in year five. It's, it's a long journey, but it's fun. Every single year you can pick something new to tackle and again, Progress equals happiness. That's that sounds amazing, and clearly, you know, you have such a wealth of knowledge and experience around all of this. And how can our listeners and audience find you? You know, get inspired by you, and you know, it's all around like connect with you. 
Yeah, best place is Instagram, just my name, Eric Hinman. Um, my website, erichinman.com. I have my diet and routine listed out on, on my website, so you can find that there. And yeah, message me on Instagram with any questions. I love talking about this stuff. And, you know, all of this really changed my life for the better. So, you know, the message I like to get out there is just sharing things that helped me. And I hope that people can take some things away that ultimately helps them. Yeah, and I love how down to earth you are that you you said, you know, you've done this for so many years, more than a decade, and you reach where you are today. And it's not, you know, what everyone thinks of Instagram, where people see six pack, where people see, you know, a tremendous, amazing bodies, and they're just being transformed overnight. They don't, you know, it's just that they're seeing it now, because, mm -hmm. you know, how, how accessible and how um, digestible social media are these days. So... Um, well, again, thank you so much, Eric, for being on HVMM Podcast. And it has been a pleasure chatting with you. And thank you so much for sharing your, your knowledge as well. Thank you so much, Lat. If you have enjoyed the episode, please like, share and subscribe. And if you have any comments or feedback, please leave it in the comment section. You can find us at HVMN on all social media platform and myself at Lat Manso on all social media platform as well. The HVMN Podcast and myself are powered by Ketone IQ, the most effective way for you to elevate your blood ketone levels for optimal cognitive and physical performance, as well as metabolic health. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.